0: Coming on to this project, a lot of the folks I'm collaborating with from like the scientific academic side, just their minds were blown that you can see sound. My heart has grown as those folks have been able to pull up a spectrogram and also say hey that's a plane. It feels like my world bleeding into that scientific academic world, which is a really cool feeling, bringing that to the table. There's a famous UFO sound. I think it's called like the Yoakum sound or something like that, uh, which is a, a fascinatingly weird sound. We analyzed it, sort of came to our own internal conclusion that we don't want to share. There are not many examples of this out there that come from trustworthy sources, basically. Yo, t did you produce this? Sounds good, right? There's a site, I think I can say this, we're looking at a site on Catalina Island.
1: The very busy spot for stuff being seen, right?
0: Exactly. The location that we may have access to is right next to an airport. Not great for acoustics, but, you know, all of the other instruments, the history of that location of sightings is is pushing us towards this is some place we should be. My name is Andy Mead. I'm an audio engineer and I'm the co-lead of the acoustics team for the Galileo Projects. We have machine learning tools that we've trained that can listen, which is kind of wild. I feel like this project happened just at the right time to inherit all of the AI machine learning stuff that has popped up in the past couple of years. In order to do that, we had to go through and manually extract aircraft, for example. A couple of team members listened to... uh, We stopped counting to how many hours we listened to, but it was incredible just listening to ambient recordings the things that you'll hear that you just tune out in everyday life whether it's bird calls or crickets like looking at a spectrogram of a you know new england evening there's a strip of frequency that looks super solid and it's crickets that's always there but we tune it out we tune out aircraft we tune out all the sort of transient momentary sounds that give so much information and it's just fascinating to me that our brain is able to do that where i guess it would be sensory overload if you were taking in all that information all the time there have been some reports that not only is there no sound but the ambient sound goes down animals stop making noise which we would be able to determine you can see that if all of a sudden those crickets go away i've been a lifelong audio nerd before i knew what an audio nerd was that sort of experimentation of playing with my dad my dad is a a hobbyist musician And it was that experimentation of playing with this four track and then figuring out I could get extra tracks out of it by recording three tracks and then dumping the third track or all those three to the fourth track. Just honestly pushing buttons like I would record drum sets and there was a button that I would push that if I pushed it, it would make the kick drum sound better. I had no idea what that was when I was, you know, 13, but it was a phase button. I was flipping the phase on the kick and I didn't know it. It's where creativity meets technology and craft. That's the sweet spot for me. So I grew up in Bangor, Maine, which is fairly north. It's sort of the last uh, quote, big city. It's, you know, small uh, relative to something like New York, but Stephen King territory. Stephen King territory. So I grew up probably a mile away from Stephen King. Uh, We would run into him around town. There was like a diner we used to go to called Nicky's that he would happen to walk into. And and everybody, I think he liked it because everyone would treat him just like a local. A pretty quintessential Stephen King main town, basically.
1: I bet you anything that if we find him, we'll get our pictures in the paper. Yeah, yeah, we can even be on TV. Sure, we'll be heroes. Yeah.
0: Probably the biggest person to come out of Maine and anybody from Maine is probably going to get mad at me for for listing the wrong person. But uh, there was a guy named Howie Day. Who had a song called Collide. It was like a big hit single. He was sort of the first person to do looping. So like Ed Sheeran uh, was a huge Howie Day fan. I met this vocalist in college. We uh, ended up forming a band. She moved up to Portland with me a year after college. So I moved up and then she followed me. And then we had some initial success. It was like two really intense years. Somebody from Warner Brothers flew out from LA to Portland to meet us. And we were like, we're on, we're going to play Glastonbury a year from now. And, and, you know, that's really the the music industry is a lot harsher than that. It ultimately didn't really go anywhere. We burned ourselves out. that burnout, there's sort of a fallout, we're on great terms now, but really invested into, nope, I want to engineer, I want to produce, I want to mix, and I need a vehicle to do that. Um, And right around that same time, I I got an opportunity with a company that I sort of worked my way up uh, and ended up becoming an owner where I could do my audio work. My life has been a series of sort of stumbling into things. Like knowing what I'm passionate about, knowing what I love and using letting that guide me. But sort of these opportunities have like fallen in my way and I've just sort of grabbed onto them.
1: Another thing you and I both had in common and that was an absolute trip was our wives' partners being pregnant during 2020.
0: It was brutal, especially feeling like I was kind of her only lifeline because everything was so locked down. We actually got lucky... When we had our kid, where a few months before there were no visitors allowed at the hospital. So, like, I was at least able to visit. So, my wife was in the hospital, I think it was 50 something days. I was just trying to distract myself. Like, I had so much time at home by myself, but like, we hadn't spent that much time away from each other since like we started dating uh, in 2010. Sorry, 2009. I need to get that right. Something triggered my interest, and I wish I remembered exactly what it was. It was, I think, it was Reddit, and I think it was an article about one of the sightings that the New York Times posted. So it was either the Tic Tac or Go Fast or Gimbal, and it just kind of struck me all of a sudden, like, wait, is there something to this? This is a fucking drawing, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. on the essay. My God. Going the wind. the wind's the west. The thing, I had this sort of peripheral knowledge of UFOs like I knew what Roswell was I knew like some of the zeitgeist of UFOs thing, it's I'd never taken a deep dive and always sort of written it off so I told my wife I'm going to go down the rabbit hole, like consciously, partially being like, hey, if I go too far, you need to grab me and pull me back out. I read everything I could, spent a lot of time on Reddit, which has pros and cons, but also uh, read like Jacques Vallée, the more sort of academic folks in the, the UFO community and was just fascinated where it's a slippery topic where it's really hard to hold on to like a picture of what's going on and that's i think what's fascinating to me that i'll still read things that'll shift my perspective a little bit so the way i think about uap and and ufos now is so different than how i thought about them in 2020 yet there's a, a through line in that interest of there's something worth looking at here and I don't know what it is and I don't know what the outcome is going to be of any of the studies that are happening some of which I'm involved with at the end of the day it's a fascinating societal thing the interest and you know the outcome of looking at it is going to be interesting regardless of what it is whatever the conclusion is It feels like a worthwhile thing to to look at. The Galileo Project is the first really rigorous academic study of UAP, UFOs, and interstellar objects, which may or may not be related to that topic. It's centered out of Harvard University, so that, you know, obviously a lot of clout uh, and sort of mainstream academia comes with the tag Harvard attached to it. And the head of the project, Avi Loeb, is sort of an iconic astrophysicist who did incredible work in sort of mainstream science. I I hate using that phrase, but, you know, worked on black holes, founded the Black Hole Institute at Harvard, had uh, Stephen Hawking over to his house. He was in the Elites, or I guess he still is in the Elites astrophysics world, but he's an intriguing character because he was open to these sort of out there ideas. He got fame from Oumuamua, which was the first interstellar objects. He said, hey, this looks weird. We can't explain it. It's not like a normal solar object. It accelerated when it went past the sun. Maybe this is technological. The second he said, maybe this is technological, academia yelled and screamed and said, how dare you throw out that hypothesis? I've always been attracted to that type of thinking, like I'm a a Richard Feynman fanboy. Those people who sort of push against the mainstream in academia yet have the the rigor uh, and the intellect to do so. And Avi felt like that to me. So I was a fan of him long before I got involved with Galileo. I saw a post, I think it was, could have been Reddit, I don't don't remember where, but I think it was a world scientific article saying that Avi and and Frank Laukian, who's a a CEO of a big company that makes uh, scientific instruments, were launching this academic study of UAP. That was just so exciting to me. That was kind of the conclusion I came to at the end of my rabbit hole was like, why isn't somebody studying this? Why isn't some small bit of funding going into figuring out what's going on here? All of a sudden that moment seemed to be happening.
1: It is the goal of Galileo to sort of um, basically monitor the whole sky all the time in every way.
0: Yeah, exactly, with as many modalities as as we can afford and as are appropriate to the topics. I work on the acoustic side, but there's visible light, there's infrared light, there are magnetometers, there are weather stations, there are radars, there are passive radars, there are high resolution cameras. So it's basically the next best thing to, actually it's better than somebody sitting out 24 seven looking at the sky, but it's kind of simulating that with some, you know, extra bells and whistles for being able to tell distance. It's just looking nonstop at the sky and determining, is there anything weird? And if there is something weird, what do we know about that from all the different sensors that we have? During my rabbit hole phase and then in the year following, one of the things that stood out to me was there were a lot of reports of, of UFO sightings where it was noticed by the observer that there was no sound. They expected there to be sound and there was no sound. And as an audio nerd, that was fascinating to me because how often do people make observations about how something sounds versus how it looks? So there was that element and then... With the more recent military videos, there were objects potentially breaking the sound barrier with no sonic boom. That was fascinating to me. That sort of stuck out in the back of my mind of, like, what does a UAP sound like? And it seems like the answer is nothing.
1: What is the protocol if you do hear something?
0: Perfect timing, given what just happened, but it's immediately check the other sensors if we hear something strange or out of place, and hopefully we can get to a point with a machine learning model where it can not only ID stuff, known sounds, acoustic signatures, but it can also identify an anomalous sound. So say we get to that point, we do hear something weird. It's we're immediately looking at every other sensor and cross-referencing what was in the sky when that sound happened. If there is something that seems like it's correlated, that's a you know an avenue to pursue and check all of the other instruments and see if we can build a picture of, of what that sound was or justify why it sounded that way. Definitely, I wouldn't call acoustics a leading instrument, though uh, the progress we've made, we're on our way to being a leading instrument. It's wild. And I have to stop and pinch myself a fair amount being like, you know, somebody called this like high risk, high reward science. The risk, I, I guess I don't see as much risk, but I guess the risk is that we don't find anything. But if we do find something that's like changes a lot of things. And to even have my name on the the primary paper about this subject, which is kind of how you do UAP Science 101, which is the first of its kind, is mind blowing to me.
1: Personally, where are you on the kind of when it comes to UAP? Still just curious, do you have a concrete belief?
0: I don't think I have a belief. Going back to my Feynman obsession, his big thing was living with uncertainty and how important that is and sort of the mistakes that you can make if you're too certain about something. And I have a lot of uncertainty around this topic where I think that there's something going on. I think it's, it's, it's proven to be real. And what that is, I don't know. I mean the the pet theories that i have in my head change by the week there are moments where i'm like "Ooh, it's got to be that that lines up that makes so much sense with everything and then the next week i'm like what are you talking about that's crazy no this is this is not <laughs> not that And that's kind of exciting because that's living with that uncertainty where I'm okay changing my opinion, changing my beliefs based on new information that comes in. And Galileo is kind of the ultimate version of that, where that's, I think, if we got something, that's the closest to being definitive that I'm going to get around this subject and then chipping away at that uncertainty. But... In the meantime, I'm going to live my Feynman life and say, I don't know, I'm, I'm good without uncertainty and that keeps things exciting.
1: I'd like to thank Andy for his time. I really enjoyed doing that interview and hanging out with Andy and I'm intrigued to see what he finds or what he doesn't find. And what the Galileo Project ultimately discovers. So, watch this space or watch that space. Now, Andy mentioned that he was born and raised in Maine, and there were some tragic events in that great state a week or so back. So, I just want to dedicate this episode to the people of Maine. Stay strong. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sounds Good Right. It was recorded, edited, produced, and sound designed by me, Tom Wally. If you enjoyed it, then please, please, please write a review, give us a like, subscribe, tell your friends about us. All of those things make it much easier for other people to find the show. And we really want to get it to as many people as possible. A lot of love goes into making it. Another way you could say thank you is by going to tbone.productions and getting some merch. We've got some new stuff added to the merch store, which I think you'll dig. Go and check it out. And once again, thank you for listening.
0: Yo T-Bone, did you produce this? Sounds good, right?